correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today we have a very special guest, but before we do that, we want to talk about one of our favorite podcasts, Squad Tactica. Yes, Squad Tactica. Shugi's, uh, well, generically you could call it a, a Warhammer Kill Team podcast, but it really, it's it's more about minis and painting and just having fun. And Sugi gets a lot of really, really cool people on there. Uh, I think he's had Duncan Rhodes on a time or two. He's had some other people whose names I don't recognize, but I can tell from the way people on the Discord react, they're big names in, you know, the Warhammer and painting and whatever communities. And it's just a really cool, cool fun show and their discord's a really cool place to hang out so uh we'll link all that in the show notes but that's squad tactica for you yeah so today we have a guest on again indeed we do uh, another long distance guest yeah um all the way from new zealand we have liam from mud and blood uh, thanks for having me on i appreciate it thank you for taking the time to join us so for those of you who apparently have never listened to our show before and have never heard us mention this mud and blood podcast um well that's not all liam does but maybe you'd like to take a minute and just explain what mud and blood is for everybody before we get into talking about kind of uh, a mud and blood style of gaming this week yeah yeah no worries so mud and blood the tagline is uh, a podcast dark and grim which is rather foreboding um we're just a uh a sort of a very long form podcast that discusses specifically sort of you know darker gritty rpgs so we started off actually myself and my co-host matt we started off being admins of the rat catchers guild which is a big uh warhammer fantasy roleplay discord and that sort of started us so we do a lot of warhammer content but we also discuss lots of things such as call of cthulhu and other sort of you know cosmic horror or there's quite a lot of osr games we've been talking about lately and most recently we've been doing a season 40k as well because that's the origin of grimdark right so we thought we only had to sort of pay some homage to it eventually so here we are (laughs) so like you don't have to sell it to me but i know there's a lot of people who who hear the term you know grimdark gaming and like why would you want to play in something gritty and bloody and on some level sort of depressing or like call of cthulhu where okay yes chances are you're either going to get eaten and ripped to shreds by the monster, not necessarily in that order, or you're going to go insane, or all three. And, like, <laughs> it's hard to explain, but it's a blast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, I mean, I think, to start with, I think it is important to acknowledge it isn't for everybody, right? Like, um, in my mind, there's two primary reasons why people play RPGs. It's probably more than that, but I'm, I'm, I'm massively oversimplifying. There's a couple of primary reasons that people play, right? They either play for escapism, they want to get to do things that they don't get to do in the real world, they want to go be the hero, they want to go out there and be this larger of life character doing lots of cool things, that's fine, you know, that's what you're into, that's fine. Some of us would much rather play uh, to experience a form of catharsis, right, like 
if you go back in history to like ancient Greece, right, they had the tragedies, which was like you go and watch these plays that people were playing, and that always ended horribly. And the whole point of the tragedies was normal people do something wrong, stuff goes bad, something tragic happens at the end. And the reason it was there was to remind everybody that, hey, yeah, life is rough sometimes. This can happen to anybody, and that's okay, you know, and we get to experience a form of catharsis by watching it happen to somebody else. And we get to help us mentally train, I guess, for the rough things that might happen in our lives. And when it comes to dark and gritty RPGs, in a lot of ways, for me anyway, it's the same sort of thing. It's um, I get to play a game where I, horrible stuff will happen, trauma will be examined, um, and, and it's it's only going to go horribly wrong but that's okay because that's what we're here for and it's about trying to find the small victories in amongst that and in showing that even though things go horribly wrong you can overcome a lot of them sometimes you can sort of get through it or you know the background may be inevitably doomed but the moment you've you've, you've won the day you know yeah you know, which is like the, you see that a lot in lovecraftian horror like yeah the world will eventually get consumed right but for today, for today, we've managed to kick that can down the road for just another day. And that sort of thing can help you, you know, get through life because life very much feels the same, if you're honest. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, I think that's the, the joy of it. Plus, you know, it, it's, I mean, grimdark fiction has been huge since the mid 80s, right? If you, anyone who read comic books in the 80s and 90s and, you know, even film and, and media in general, shifted to a more grim dark lens and i mean most people who are listening to this have probably watched game of thrones that's fairly grim dark like we as a species seem to enjoy this sort of fiction so getting to play it firsthand in an rpg makes sense well i think you touched on a couple things there there is that that element of well maybe yeah life sucks but it's not as bad as this yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like I, I don't know if that makes sense but i think there's also like to a certain point maybe sometimes there's a little bit of freedom in making that what in real life would be a bad choice, but because it's a role-playing game, you can do it and laugh at the misfortune that follows as opposed to having to suffer it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, prime example, that's um, Merkborg, right? So Merkborg on the surface is just this horrible world. The apocalypse is happening and people are playing through this fantasy world where things just keep getting worse and eventually the world ends. The world will end. There's nowhere to stop it. And there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, why play then? It's like, well, because it's fun. It's ridiculous. The things you get to do. Yeah, that game's a blast. I, I... Yeah. I've never not played that game. And like, like I, was, I actually said this to somebody last week after playing it. I played it twice in the last week. And um, every time I've played it, it's been fun the whole time. There's never been that moment where it's just sort of lulling while we're waiting to figure out what happens next. Or there's no, there's no dips. It's just... You know, you've turned the volume up to 11 and you're having fun the whole time. And it's interesting because the creator, Johan, has stated several times quite publicly that it's an allegory for climate change, right? Like it is a mirror of our own society racing towards an inevitable doom that we're seemingly ignoring and whatever. So it's like you get to live through this whole thing where it's like, man, this is just, it's just going tits up. So why not? do the the dumb thing that you always want to do but you don't because you know you're playing a serious game and you just kind of want to go you know stuff it i'm gonna i'm gonna kick over this vial which i'm sure has a ghost in it just to see what happens because we're all doomed anyway let's <laughs> let's go out and have a bit of fun yeah it, it's a blast it's, it's good fun yeah like well see for me my 
the very first game I ever played was I got called to fill in for somebody who, who ditched on a WEG Star Wars game back in the Mm -hmm. 90s. Mm -hmm. But the first like campaign that I got to properly join and make a character for was a fifth edition Call of Cthulhu. And by that, I mean the fifth edition of Call of Cthulhu, Mm -hmm. you know, not Mm -hmm. whatever this thing that Sandy Peterson released a couple of years ago that I refuse to acknowledge is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it was the original Delta Green, you know, via Pagan Publishing, whatever is what we were playing. And it was very Mm. kind of Monty Hall you know, like we all carried around 50 caliber caseless automatics and whatever, but like, and we fought predators and Daleks and <laughs> it was just general Cthulhu messed up worldness. Right. Mm. But mm. like, I don't know if, because that was one of the first games I ever played that in my mind, that was just what to expect. And then the first D and D I ever played. And again, this was toward the tail end of second edition, but the first D and D I ever played was dark sun. And so again, <laughs> as a formative thing, you know, it's like, well, if this is what this is. This is cool. And then people are got, you know, like regular D and D and whatever. And I'm like, well, this is, I mean, okay, it's kind of neat, but it's kind of boring. There's not, yeah. it's not as dangerous. Yeah. I, my first ever role play game back in the early nineties, RuneQuest, right? And RuneQuest is pretty heroic. You're, you're playing like, you know, in like a sword sandals sort of style game with you know gods are kicking about and your champions are these gods and all that sort of stuff it's very high fantasy it's very mythical high fantasy but it's also the sort of game where if you roll the wrong dice roll uh your arm will get cut off and and there's no coming back from that you know <laughs> like stuff like that there's and it's, it's a real brutal game and i remember playing that and then later playing you know warhammer fantasy role play which again is is it's a our name mud and blood comes from that because that's supposed to be um, you know uh warhammer is described as like D D, but you need deep in mud blood and excrement we'll say that excrement <laughs> so um <laughs> mud blood and excrement so like it's i, I played all of that I and mean, you get to D and you're like hold on we just need to have a nap and we're back to oh hit points there's no no you know like real risk to things we can just go out and we can throw it all on the line and have a big epic fight and then get hurt and everything along the way then have a sleep for eight hours and we, we're good and then like very quickly as you level up you get to level five and compared to a peasant you're basically a god at that point i was like this doesn't doesn't feel right there's no doesn't there's no intrinsic risk you know to the world around me there's no feeling of like you know actions have consequences there isn't a narrative sense but not in like your day-to-day like once you're level five you can effectively do whatever you want to like a a merchant you can call them whatever names they want they can't you know they might be able to narratively complicate your life but they can't actually hurt you (laughs) and it was just like man this is just now nah, I want to feel like every every person I meet on the road, if they decide to be horrible to me, it would would be dangerous. I, I kind of it, it makes the world feel more grounded. You know, I kind of like. That. But at the same time, as you say, with Grimdark, an important thing is the the black humor of it, right? So some of the ridiculous situations you get into can also be a blast as well. It's about finding your right balance. Well, yeah, that's like I, you know, I know a game that I well, I ended up kind of picking it up one because of the background i just mentioned myself having but also because of you reviewing it on the show was delta green mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. delta green if for those who haven't heard me talk about it or haven't found it it's one it's a it's a great great game but it's mm-hmm. a it's a modern call of cthulhu spinoff where you play ultra quick pitches it's the x-files but in reverse you know it's the truth mm-hmm. is out there but you're trying to keep it hidden yeah and 
I think what a lot of people miss in that is because of the way they've set the game up, the real story of Delta Green in campaign play is watching the slow degradation of your character due to them compartmentalizing and, you know, shelving away all this crap that they have to see and do and the, the toll that that takes on them in their regular life through the, the bonds mechanic. And to yeah. me, that's like the, the actual core story of the game. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we interviewed, um, one of the creators, I can't remember which one, but we interviewed him on Modern blood and he said the exact same thing. Like that mechanic exists for that purpose. Actually, no, he didn't say that in the podcast. It was on Twitter and it was Detwiller who does all the art as well. He mm-hmm. said it. It's um, ultimately the bonds mechanic is what the game is about. It is about degrading relationships and stuff like that. These relationships fall apart because you're out there doing the hard work, you know, and you're, you're, you're trying to save humanity, but you can't tell humanity about it. They're not allowed to know. <laughs> so you, you're coming home at the end of the day and you, you're resorting to drink and all sorts of things to try and bury it. And because you're not open with your loved ones, the relationships suffer across the campaign. So it's the sort of thing that if you play a one shot, it's like this really dark, gritty, high action sort of thing. But if you play a campaign, it becomes kind of, uh, uh, you know, anyone who comes from a broken home or has been through like a broken marriage or anything will immediately get what the game is about. It's very much about that sort of roly poly and like sort of emotional roller coaster that, you know, and then you have to start querying, well, why does this guy keep doing what he's doing? Why does my character keep going back? Does he still feels the same about Delta Green and these things that he's facing when it's cost him everything? And that, that creates a really interesting sort of character dynamic, and you can have a lot of fun with that. Like, you, you are ostensibly playing heroes. You're playing people who are saving the world, right? But no one acknowledges that. They don't get all of the laudits that come with it. They don't even know each other's real names most of the time because they're all operating under pseudonyms. So they, they can't even catch up for a beer with, with the other people who they went through it with. If they do, Delta Green will get worried that they're going to let slip the secret and probably try and black bag them. So it's like this <laughs> this really like sort of dark and grim thing that you can have a lot of fun with if you're into those sorts of stories. And it's, it's excellent. But if you're listening to this and you haven't got Delta Green, get it. It's one of the best games you've ever written. I don't care what anyone says. It's awesome. <laughs> Well, I think the paraphraser review was buy this bleeping game. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's a great game. Great game. So good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made Steve play it a while ago. Oh, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I adore Delta Green. And I adore Delta Green because it, not just because it does that, but because I love stories of government conspiracy and delta green Mm, is all mm. about government conspiracy Mm, delta green is actively making you participate in the government conspiracy (laughs) yeah what i like about it too is um like when i played it at home one thing that was really hard for my players to adjust to was this idea of being powerful you're obsessively you know you're you're government agents you're walking around you can flash the badge you can you you are the feds and the and the in the gray suits you know but at the same time, no one else can know what you're doing. So you, you turn up and you flash your, bag, your badge, and that might work with some civilians. But when the local cops, like, you know, what are you guys doing kicking around here? Like, and they start querying you on jurisdiction or whatever, you know, when, when you're flashing your FBI badge, but it turns out you're not from the local FBI office, you know, and some people start asking questions. And it becomes this weird sort of thing where you're like, you know, you're, you're a government agent, you're here, you're in control, you know, you're, you're in charge. But 
at the same time, you know it's all a lie, and <laughs> and you have to try and like keep it sort of under wraps. That that created a really interesting tension. And when I think back to it, when I I played a, a relatively short campaign for my home group well, back before COVID, now so it'd be nearly two years ago. The big the the big moments, the moments where everything fell over, was less like sometimes obviously when the mythos turned up, but more often than not was when they ran into other law enforcement. And that's when the conspiracy becomes apparent. It's not about the mythos. It's not about saving the world. It's about maintaining the conspiracy. It gets really complicated. Or there's a really good adventure that they have where you have like a local reporter, like one of those, you know, we all know those reporters who are like really well known in their town. And it's like a, they're, they're like a well-respected personality, but they 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 very much thrive on shock reporting, shock journalism and um, clickbait. It was that kind of a character who was following the party around and trying to like get the scoop on this murder that they were investigating. And just the idea of every time they walk out of a building, every time they walk out of a crime scene, there could be a recorded reporter there with a microphone in their face. And they're very much on camera. They're trying to maintain this conspiracy and they're on local news like constantly. <laughs> um was was great fun. It was excellent. And it, it, it led to some really like funny and amusing moments too, when you're trying to come up with creative solutions, like the the problem solving element of that sort of a thing is great. Like if you if you're the sort of person who plays games because you enjoy trying to figure out what's happening or how to resolve this problem, if you like to you get your brain sort of firing, excellent for that. Really good. Just go get the game. Just go get it. <laughs> just, just get it. <laughs> That's the point, though, with grim dark play in general, though, I think, is that it does lend itself to creating those situations where you've got, what do you want to say, you've got more dials to turn as far as to create problems that aren't just kill it problems. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I know what I'm thinking. I don't know if I'm I'm saying it well. No, no, I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, um, like, I mean, for example, right? When you look at a game like Dungeons & Dragons, we use the well-known one, almost every lever the game presents you mechanically, all the interesting ones at least, are all combat-oriented. They're all combat abilities, they're all spells that work in combat and stuff like that. Beyond that, it's a series of 12 skill checks, right? So you're either rolling for insight or you're combating stuff, right? And that's just, you know, that's not interesting for me, personally. And the only way that you can generally make those games interesting is either one, you're really into the tactical element of combat, in which case, fine, you know, or two, you kind of push the system aside and go into some narrative stuff away from the mechanics. Uh, with a lot of grimdark play, there's one big thing that's sort of omitted that exists in those more combat-oriented games that are written for combat. There's a few of them, not just D&D, but games that are written with the expectation that there'll be a series of fights and uh, those fights will ultimately lead to... Um, oh, you're going to get me down a game theory tangent here. So games that <laughs> revolve around combat, right? Like like D&D are ultimately resource management games. There's a reason why D&D abilities are use X times a day abilities, right? The whole thing is about a series of depleting your resources. And then the idea is hopefully you'll still have enough resources to overcome the big boss at the end of the dungeon. That's ultimately what the mechanics of D&D are trying to create, is that idea of you get X amount of resources per rest, and we're going to try and deplete them across like the eight hours you're spending in the dungeon before your next rest, 
<laughs> and hopefully, if you're good at adventure design, you've depleted enough of those that the final boss fight is challenging, right? So it's this whole going around and around in circles, trying to drain your resources and, and hoping you don't just take a, a nap before you walk into the final boss dungeon. If you remove that element, if you remove the idea of someone is only in danger once their resources are depleted, and you make it so they're always in danger, you force players to become creative. They're never in a situation where they've got lots of resources and they're trying to just avoid depleting them. They're always in a situation of we need to think outside the box. Um, and also, if you move away from the idea of you hit it to solve your problems, you also move away from the idea of therefore problems must be balanced to be hit to be solved, right? So we all know in D&D, you, you talk about you know, your CR rating and balancing encounters so that they drain just enough resources so that they can eventually make it to the, the, the interesting fight, the fight they want to have with the big boss, but with not to, so many resources that they just smash them in the first round of all their magic. So you end up with these situations where you're trying to balance it in a certain way to leech off you know, like these resources. If you go to a game, and this isn't just true of Dark and Grim games, this is true of like a lot of the OSR, for example, has the same mindset around this stuff. If you go to games where there is no effort to do that, the game isn't about draining resources. The game is about, you know, what you're doing in the fiction. It's fiction first. Then at that point, you don't need to worry about balance anymore. So there's no reason why you can't put, like if you're playing a fantasy gritty game there's no reason why you can't have a room where there's a big dragon that would tpk the party in it that the party has to get past to carry on the mission there's no problem with that because at that point that dragon ceases to be an encounter that is designed to deplete resources and it starts to be a problem that needs solving right you could hit it but it will hit you back and that you did so we need to start thinking how do we get around this what do we do about this does one of us try and talk to the dragon do we try and sneak around the dragon do we maybe back out and find another way in here? You know, when you remove this idea that at the start of every day, every time you wake up, you've got X resources and your job is to keep as many of those resources as you can for the final encounter. Once you remove that from the equation, you change the way people think about games and it becomes problem solving. The whole thing becomes problem solving. In Warhammer Fantasy, you generally try and solve your problems in interesting ways because one, you're playing a game with a character sheet full of non-combat skills. That helps. Call of Cthulhu is the same. But also, too, if you hit things, they might turn around and hit you back. If they get a critical hit, you're dead. So there's always a risk. So you better get inventive. And hitting things becomes a last resort. In some games, hitting things becomes a fail state. If you're having to hit stuff, you've clearly gone wrong. You've, you've failed at your job of problem solving. Unless you're absolutely in control of the situation when you decide to hit. Like, if you're hitting things without meaning to, then, then things have gone really badly. So um, that's interesting, right? I find that quite compelling. Yeah, yeah, and that's like another game that I've heard you mention at a time or two. I don't think you've ever really talked about it much on on your podcast, but uh, Cyberpunk 2020 and then its successor, Red. You know, mm. I've told people before, this is a game that when you really read it, yes, the combat system is robust and it, there's tactical elements to it. But if you really look at it, that game was not designed for you to use combat as a first resort because it is inherently an extremely risky endeavor to enter combat in that game because a couple of wrong die rolls and you're done. I mean, we played it, oh, yeah, well, it was right at the start before COVID started, and first adventure, you know, I was running a game, I blew a character's leg off. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and like it's hard to explain to people that if they're, especially if they've come up in you know, be it D and D or or whatever games where your primary solution is hit it till it stops moving. That sometimes, like you said, you need to get creative to get around your problems. And in doing that, you can actually create these scenes and stories where so much more happens than I hit it really hard. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think if you think about cyberpunk, especially I haven't played or really read the cyberpunk games, but I love the genre. Right. And I think if you actually think about it the, with the genre, with lots of the big fiction that are out there, a lot of the time combat's not a thing like Blade Runner is the obvious you know, influence for cyberpunk as is obviously the anime is like a kid and goes to the shell if we're thinking about um like you know just to look at um blade runner in blade runner combat is relatively rare and it's more often than not quite quick and messy right like especially that one where dickhead is chasing the chick through the street and shoots her and she falls through the glass that's quite a dramatic sort of chase scene and there's a lot of tension and drama there but there's not a prolonged gunfight compared to something like say James Bond, where com- like a, a James Bond game, you expect to have lots of combat. In a cyberpunk game, all of the interesting stuff that happens in a lot of cyberpunk fiction is the noir element. It's the things going on in the background. So you want the game to involve that. You want the game to involve interesting engagement with the world around them. And then you want combat to be messy and deadly when it happens, because that's how stuff is presented in cyberpunk, because ultimately cyberpunk is a crime noir genre so you want things to be investigation slow burn and then when violence happens it is quick it is violent it is messy and it and it can go both ways there the, the, the hero is not you know arnold schwarzenegger with a never-ending clip of bullets and everyone seems to miss him he's, he's not that he's this vulnerable guy who is really hopes he hits them before they hit him and um that's that's what makes it interesting i think or helps anyway yeah yeah it's yeah, it like and again, it's it's hard to explain it, but it's it's like one of those things like you know what it is, but it's hard to articulate what you're looking for in this style of play. Well, I think one of the things one of the things that can be said is that this style of play does existential dread better than any other game. Mm. Where it's 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 not so much about the immediate threat, more about if we don't stop this, the implications are beyond our means i think that's one of the things that cthulhu really does is that the cosmic horror Mm. series or the cosmic horror games can in so in in um instill instill that's the word i was looking for a uh a sense of it's not just the world that's going to end it's the world's going to end and it's going to be terrible for everyone like Mm. Mm. and i think that's Uh, something yeah yeah well, it's, it's about high stakes, right? And like again, that's where Delta Green's really clever because it introduces family into the equation. Your bonds are close. People who are close to you, those are the people who you, who you lose if you fail, right? If you fail, the world ends, sure. But these characters that you have now drawn an attachment to as a player will also be lost, right? And that's that's it makes it more personal. And um, yeah, like I mean, high stakes is key to any grim dark game. If you want to really talk, like, get into the, the, the brass tacks of what Grimdark, like, sort of is, it's ultimately, like, the setting, things are bad, they're not really going to get better. Like, like it's it's almost, some people describe it as misery porn, right? Like, like people are people are suffering, things are bad, or 
there's really bad stuff in the background that people don't know about that will make things terrible if you do not stop it. Um, and that's sort of always there. There's that ever-present threat. And the players ultimately will never completely remove it. They can only hold it back or make it better for a moment or make it better for a small group of people. And I think, you know, that very much about high stakes. Everything is very, you know, you get this wrong, things are only going to get worse. And there's genuine threats to this world. And it's not just like Mickey Mouse threats of, you know, stuff that might come in and, oh no, the evil sorcerer is, is one. Like, it's like, no, actually, like, things are, are we're, we're really trying to make this work. Otherwise, the world is going to be devoured by, you know, Azathoth, and we don't want that. Um, so <laughs> that helps, right? It helps motivate characters. And especially because the other element of it too is that characters are almost always relatable to us as people. They're not big heroes. They're not very rarely are they larger than life sort of characters that go well beyond sort of the means that we could ever hope to achieve. You know, you're, you're playing Frodo, you're not playing Gandalf, right? Like that's kind of the idea. You're playing a small person in a big scary world, not a powerful person in a normal world. You're not the Avengers or anything like that. Right. Even though you're playing for similar stakes. And I think that's, it makes it easy for me anyway. I like being able to envision a character that I can relate character that i can see myself as opposed to you know may not be the greatest analogy but it's braveheart as opposed to king arthur yeah yeah exactly that's that's yeah, exactly no it's, it's like um true detective instead of james bond like yeah, true detective, by the way if you're into delta green watch true detective I recommend it wholeheartedly i'm just here to shill delta green and true detective <laughs> the same day. well you know what <laughs> At least you'll lend some credence to me constantly trying to get people in the server, our Discord server, to play Delta Green. Because they're like, I don't know. Like, look, it's it's really, really fun. What do you mean? You're going to kill us. Because I I did get them to play Need to Know. And, of course, ended on a TPK. Because (laughs) they decide to, well, not unanimously open the thing. And then one of them is pouring gas. And another one opens fire with a submachine gun. and crit fumbled and i would just like to point out that my group took the coward's way out (laughs) yes yours did (laughs) my group found the thing and called the boss and was like we found the thing come get it (laughs) when we played it my group was actually it didn't help for for whatever reason one of my players had a bit more knowledge than you'd be comfortable with or expect them to have around septic tanks so he started talking about different valves and things that should be on this tank. <laughs> and I'm like rapidly having to think up solutions. <laughs> and then um, they ended up trying to set it on fire and it ended up escaping. They got out eventually, but it fled. I didn't have it kill them. I had it, I had it flee because it had already messed one of them up and it was quite messed up and stuff. So I just had it run away into the, into the woods and they had to call the boss and be like, well, um, it's out there somewhere and uh, we don't know where it is. <laughs> And then I had like newspaper reports of bad things happening in the following weeks. <laughs> the, the the time I ran it where it went south, we only had I want to say maybe two rounds of combat before it it went excessively bad. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that, that encounter absolutely has the potential to, which is why I think it's important that you have it in like your quick start, right? You want to sort of teach people that these things can happen. And get them used to the idea that consequences are a thing, especially if they're coming from like heroic fantasy, which most of us are when we get into hobbies. 
learning that uh, yeah, you're a big scary agent on the end of a nine millimeter or whatever, but you know, like this this thing is 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 beyond you know our comprehension. It's um I think that's important to sort of establish that early, and that, that that's a pretty good adventure for doing it because it introduces you to it in a very controlled environment, and then it only goes bad if you make the situation worse. So it's very much like, well, you opened the hatch. Here are the consequences, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, so to speak, you arrive on a contained situation. It only goes bad because you did yeah. a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you had to, you had to poke it. You're the one who decided to poke the beast. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, it's excellent like that. I, I, I really enjoy that. Speaking of yeah, situations going out of hand in Delta Green and stuff. I played an adventure, uh, Operation Fulminate. Is that the one that's in the back of the Keeper's book or the Handler's Guide? It might be. Um, I think the so. National Park one? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. that's the one in the back yeah, of the Yeah, something book. rather Twilight Sentinels or something like that. It's called. I ran that adventure and that went horribly wrong. That went really horribly wrong. Like the kid starts freaking out and stuff. And that when they first encountered their first sort of mythical sort of you know their, their uh, mythos entity uh, and they didn't know what to do about it they fully lost control of the situation they didn't have a um they had a code word which was chicago if someone said chicago that was their take control of the situation now they didn't discuss amongst themselves what take control of the situation means so mm-hmm. for a few of them it was okay guns out we're telling people to get down we're in charge and at that point we're sort of we're dropping the mask, you know, like we are, here we are, we're in charge, get down, I don't care if you're a cop or whatever, get down, you know, we're in charge. But for one of them, it was, you will do whatever you have to do to regain control of the situation. And he had seen this child, which is one of the key spoilers for anyone who might be playing this adventure, but he saw this child, which is attached to this whole thing that's going on, having a seizure, and then this this mythos entity sort of fell out of this child and grew into this big thing. So he was like, okay, well, that thing over there is going nuts, this Shoggoth thing, and it's attacking the party and it's scary. And this child that it fell out of is having this seizures. It's clearly somehow attached to the child. At that point, he didn't believe the child was a human. This is important to the story because he ended up deciding to shoot it and killed the kid, right? Unfortunately, he was mistaken on all counts. And the Shoggoth kept going, and he had just killed a kid, which is pretty traumatic, as you can imagine. Huge sand loss. And also, for him as a player, he was a father, so him making that decision was quite a big move on his part. But um, it ended up like with this really dark situation where now local law enforcement had seen him do this. This guy was a murderer at that point, right? The whole thing went, went tits up, very violent. They ended up barely containing like the the situation, but clearly the outcomes, the ramifications of what was going to happen was huge. And the big thing is that game's on a timer. You know that law enforcement are turning up first thing in the morning. Local FBI is turning up in the morning. You have to resolve the situation before then. So they went to the top of the national park and they destroyed the local dam just to flood the crime scene and completely cover up all evidence because it was all they had left. They, they had gone so far to try and save the day they'd, they'd gone well and truly just too far into the depths of this thing that they ended up just scorching the earth yeah it strikes me that in some ways and again 
maybe this is my brain putting together weird analogies, but the grimdark gaming, the, the attraction, a lot of it, it, it's like playing Walter White going through Breaking Bad, where you make this yeah. decision for a good reason and this decision for a good reason, and then you have to make this other decision to protect your other decisions. And all of a sudden it's something way, way bigger than what you intended. And you're scrambling to try and stay ahead of yourself. It can be. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, I think the key to being good at running these games is to trying to keep it within that too. So like, for example, it would have been very easy to like, can be easy just to be a horrible person in these games. And it can be easy just to run a game where everyone's playing bad guys. And I don't think that's actually the point. I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about humans making human decisions, right? People make it like, you know, we are flawed. We are often making decisions with incomplete information and making leaps of logic and assumptions and then playing through the, you know, and making, doing actions based on those, on that poor knowledge and then running through the consequences. It's all about action and consequences, right? Um, that's, the, that's why the stakes have to be high. You've got high stakes, and you're in a world which isn't set up to cater to you. The world doesn't just exist as a device for you to interact with these players. It's a living, breathing world with actions and consequences happening within it, and you are interacting with it. And there's always consequences to your actions, for better or worse. And I think that's where it gets interesting because then that process in which you gain that information and make those decisions has value over top of this is a sterile dungeon that only really exists for you to interact with it. And ultimately all that matters is the ending, right? Like we, we remove that from the equation entirely and it's more living, breathing world where there has injustice happening within it. People are out there sort of making their way through this sort of stuff and you're interacting with it all and trying to make these decisions that have a lasting impact. What do you do? You know, you're not always going to have the right information. And that is where the fun comes. And then playing through those consequences. Like um, it could have been quite easy had we been a party of, you know, people who, you know, sort of didn't respect the gravity of the, of the, of the situation. You know, when the character did what he did, and um, ended up shooting that child, which is a pretty, ex I mean, I'm sure everyone listening can agree it's a very extreme out. Um, we could have quite easily sort of, you know, black humored it and laughed it off or whatever and just, sort of just gone on being horrible. But we didn't. We made sure that the, we respected the gravity of that situation. And that's where the drama came from that we played through. It wasn't just like, lol, we're murder hobos. Look at us just killing people because we're, you know, we're, we're Delta Green. It was like, no, actually. Like he genuinely thought he was doing something to save a lot of people there. And it was a hard choice to make and he made it. And, and not only was it a hard choice to make with big consequences, it was the wrong choice. And that, that just led to like this, this ever escalating situation that drove that adventure in directions that you wouldn't have had if it had have been, if, if that hadn't have been an option, if that sort of a thing didn't exist. You know, if, if we played a game where, you know, we didn't we didn't do that sort of thing. People who don't want to play those games, that's, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying this is a superior form of play, but it's um, by opening yourself up to truly grim stuff, you can really get into the weeds of 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 motivation and and all that, and sort of go through a pretty heavy session, but still enjoy it. And at the end of it, sort of you know, experience stuff with your friends that you wouldn't otherwise. You know, it's quite eye opening. Good fun. I know it sounds really bad to say, but it was good. It was you know, 
it was it was interesting getting to this point where well now what do you do right you've shot these local cops you've, you've shot this kid you've, all this thing's gone horribly wrong and you still haven't figured out what's happening yet you know they made the decision to scorch the earth as such just try and cover it up as best they can because they are the conspiracy and they, they're not they're not the good guys they thought they were but they found out they weren't and they found out how far they were willing to go which i think is you know important to experience good fun yeah yeah i think it is it's a different it's a different style of play and that's something that i think that people should be aware of is that you know if if you're the game master for for your group these aren't necessarily the type of games you just want to spring on them because one buy-in is extremely important Mm, in that yeah 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 everybody needs to be down to play this kind of thing and two, I think it, it, it's also important, especially if if you're just venturing into this kind of play, to set some boundaries, be they formal safety tools or whatever, because mm-hmm. like you mentioned in, in the game that you played, you had someone literally shot a child. Well, mm-hmm. objectively, that's obviously a very horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, in your case, you're, you're, the player involved was actually a father himself. But at the same time, it's like we said at the beginning, it's hard to explain, but it can be fun if everyone is, it's, it's, it's not yuck laughs fun, but it, you can mm. leave feeling very f- fulfilled, I guess maybe yes. is a better way to say it. Yeah. Like also like, yeah, I mean, those safety tools are key. And also, I mean, this is true of any game. I don't care if it's dark, grim dark or not having everyone at the table agree that this is what we want to play. And this is what we're going to do is vital. If you're not having those discussions, you're going to run into issues, right? So making sure everyone knew what it was. Now, in that particular situation, that was something that we hadn't really covered before. It's not something we do regularly. So when he was saying, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to shoot this kid, there was a pause at the table, and it's like, oh, okay, are we doing this? You know, and everyone around the table sort of like, I, yeah, I guess, just do it tastefully, you know, like as, 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 as tastefully as you can, I guess. Um, don't, don't make this like a, you know, a, a comedy moment so we we went through it but not every game has to be that that, that grim and dark i definitely recommend if you're looking at getting into grim dark games look at something like warhammer where there is like a a tongue-in-cheek like tongue firmly implanted in cheek element to it where things are horrible and grim and gritty but at the same time they're kind of amusing murkborg's another good one for the same thing like it's dark and grim and the world is going tits up but we're here to have fun at the same time the how serious or how how fun you want to have like there's a full range in there of grimdark but I, I do think it allows you to do something which like explore layers of emotion in a way that more sort of you know hero fantasy games don't um i mean you can still have a lot of emotions in a hero fantasy game and you can have a lot of personal stakes but that that's very much dependent on your table and how you manage it whereas i think grimdark games require a level of vulnerability right from the get-go that allows you to have these cathartic moments and to go through this stuff and, and see where it takes you and what you'll do and and yeah these interesting sort of moral and ethical dilemmas which in a safe environment right you can explore like what would i do if this was the situation and then at the end of it you know we put the game put the dice down we finish off the snacks we have a laugh and you get to go home and go back to your normal life, right? Like it's a safe way to actively enjoy or actively partake in interesting quandaries that don't impact you in reality, 
Whereas that's not true of if you were to encounter this sort of stuff in real, like yeah, you know, like a lot of our day to day problems, we often think about, well, how how am I going to do this? There's a lot of things you just can't explore. So it's, I don't know. Uh, am I making sense? <laughs> I think one of the things that Grimdark does, and we've talked about catharsis, but in my opinion, and and this is just a general observation, a lot of the people that I've talked to that are into Grimdark games are also into metal music. Okay. <laughs> And so it's that same <laughs> catharsis that you get from listening to metal. It's the, it's the, you know, this is dark and gritty and heavy and I love it. You know, it, it lets mm. me, lets me get the rage out <laughs> that I've had to deal with all day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's kind of that same yin and yang catharsis type thing. I, I've talked to a lot of people that are really into call of Cthulhu and stuff. And it's like, well, what do you listen to? Well, I'm a big heavy metal guy. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't shock me. <laughs> that moment on that that note, you know, that that moment in the intro to walk where the drums come in, oh, like that yeah. that. It, if you're into it, you know exactly what I mean. That sensation when the drums yeah. kick in in the beginning of that song, it's just like, oh yeah. My girlfriend hates to be in the car when that song comes on because the, the radio <laughs> immediately goes up to eleven. Like it goes up as loud as it can go. Yeah, she always. I hate this song. I'm like, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting, right? Because like, yeah, you're you're right. It's similar to that. Like, listening to heavy metal doesn't make you. A lot of people who don't listen to it think you're angry, right? Um, I've been listening to heavy metal my whole life. I'm 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 a I've I've got albums and shit out. I'm a musician. This is what I do. Right? I love it. Um, and a lot of people seem to think that you're into heavy metal because you're angry and you've got all this rage. I'm one of the happiest people you'll meet. Like I, I don't go around inflicting violence on people and shit. I'm generally a pretty chill person, and a part of it is because I have these emotional outlets. I can listen to some heavy music and get adrenaline out. I can play a game and and get out some sort of you know like I, I have a really depressing job. All right, this is so, sorry, folks. We're going into Uncle Liam story time. My job is I I help homeless people who, who are in the mental health and addiction space. Right. I'm an, uh, like a consultant and advisor specifically for the people who are the hardest people to house in the city I live in. And New Zealand at the moment is having a housing crisis. So the numbers in this country are huge people that find homes for. But I'm specifically working with a very pointy end, you know, people coming out of prison and very high and complex needs, multiple coexisting high and complex needs. So I spend a lot of time advocating for people who, frankly, uh, the current solutions that exist aren't for them. And I have a lot of time having to explain to agencies that we're going to have to accept that this person is going to continue being homeless and that's going to continue causing them harm. And so It's quite a, a stressful job. Being able to then take the emotions that I get to experience and go through from that job and then turn that into fuel for a game is key for me. Now, that's how I work through this stuff. A lot of other people who would go through do the same thing I do would probably the last thing they want to do is experience those the darker emotions and I'd probably much prefer going the other way towards the escapism side of it but um I think that that's key right is that for me what helps me work through this stuff is as you say heavy metal music dark and grim game I, I don't really watch comedy tv shows sitcoms don't like them it's not interested in them. They, they bore me. I like watching, you know, like uh, thriller movies. The 90s was great for thriller movies. I believe that the 90s was one of the best eras for film. I don't care what anyone says. So, you know, I'll watch Seven <laughs> or I'll go and watch 
Um, the other day I watched Memento, loved it. Um, you know, Shutter Island, one of my favorite movies, things like that. And, and a lot of people, if they listen to all of that, probably think I'm a really, like, you know, I don't know, I'm not well-adjusted individual. But I'd say, no, nah, it's because I watch that stuff that I get to intellectually work through my stuff. Well, um, if I could ask quickly along that vein, do you think some of it is perhaps that, okay, the the tensions and whatever that gets stirred up by what you do professionally are those similar to the tensions that you find building in, in say grim dark games and that in resolving the issues that you come up against in grim dark games, it helps you release the tension that's built up from work. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's a big part of it. Like being able to go and sort of get that stuff out, you know, um, you know, we, we call it, um, in the mental health space, we call it co-regulation, right? So co-regulation is when you take yourself from like a, a struggling regulated space and then you connect with other people and together you bring yourself back to a, a regulated mood, right? You, you, you adjust your emotional state of being. And I think that by getting to, to go through some tense stuff with, with friends and company that you trust to get along with and then resolve it, get to the end of it, for better or worse, but it gets resolved, you get to the end of it, and then afterwards it's like, okay, cool, we worked through that. We got to explore some stuff there. And then you get to go back to life and be fine. I think that's, um, that's um, huge, absolutely. And saying that, you know, like you don't need to have a, a, a rough job to like Grimdark Games. There's heaps of people out there who don't. But I do think... You see it a lot with, like, Grimdark has changed since the 80s. It used to be a lot more tongue-in-cheek, and these days it's a lot more serious. Um, and I, I believe that's also because of, like, the broader changing of society we've had in that time, where in the 80s, a lot of that Grimdark stuff, apart from the fact that we had an ongoing Cold War, a lot of it didn't feel very believable or authentic. It seemed ridiculous. And then the 90s, then 9-11, et cetera, the state that the world came into, we started taking that stuff a bit more seriously because we acknowledged that actually some of these things, you know, there's, there's a bit more going on in the world than we thought. Um, and I think that's interesting to see how the overall genre has evolved, but that also might, you know, that's something to bear in mind when you get into it as well as your experiences with the world are likely to define what you consider grimdark or how you approach Grimdark might change based on whether or not you yourself have any sort of lived experiences that relate. Like, I think a big part of why I like uh, Delta Green so much is because it does a really good job of addressing, you know, like a trauma, PTSD, stuff like that, whereas a lot of games don't. A lot of games just sort of oversimplify that stuff and push it to the side. And I think it's good to sort of be confronting with some of that stuff because it's reality, you know? But yeah. Well, it brings in in some sense, you know, it, it brings some awareness to the fact that it is a real issue in some people's lives. Yeah, but also like some people might be experiencing that at your table and not not done anything about it, and then getting to sort of experience some of those feelings in a game might help them mentally address that they've got this stuff going on. It can it has a absolute potential to go the other way and trigger them, which again is why safety tools are important, but. I think being able to like again, we get back to that catharsis, right? It's not all about catharsis, though. You know, I, I, for me, that's a big part of why I play. But a lot of people do play a lot more tongue in cheek and a lot more, you know, like a bit ridiculous and fun and you know all that sort of stuff. But it's um, yeah, it varies from person to person, which is what's cool about our hobby in general, right? It's the same for 
there's a lot of people who will listen to me describe D earlier and completely disagree with me which is fine that's the joys of our hobby you know um, we have a lot of choices well yeah that's exactly it right there's there's thousands if not millions of games out there and just because you don't like this one or you don't like how people the, the group you're playing with likes to play games doesn't mean that there isn't a game out there that fits you just right and there aren't people out there who want to play the way you do mm, mm. it's just yeah. a matter of finding them which is admittedly much easier said than done <laughs> I think we're getting better there, though, right? Like, like as there's more communities, like, you know, for example, you've got a Discord, we have a Discord, there's more ways to find people who are at least interested, broadly speaking, in the same stuff as, as you. And then through those, you can, you're more likely to find people now. The world is smaller than it's ever been around finding people with the hobby. And on top of that, our hobby is bigger than it's ever been. So there's more people to access, and it's a lot easier to access than we've ever had before in the history of the hobby. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a lot of difficulties and you're going to try a few sort of dud tables, but we are getting there. Like, you know, like the amount of people that come and talk to us at Mud and Blood going, I really want to play grim dark games. I really want to play something a bit more serious or whatever, but my table will only play Dungeons and Dragons, right? It's like, well, that's fine. Or they'll only play Cypher System or, you know, whatever game they're into. It's like, that's fine, you know. Just find some other people to play with here and play with them on a different day of the week. Or instead of being the GM, be a player for a change and, and play online with some people. Easier said than done. Not, not not for everyone necessarily, but I think there are options out there, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and the online presents its own challenges to a certain point because of time zones and disparate schedules. Yeah. But at the same point, it's a bigger pool to find people in that might match whatever you're weird scheduling circumstance is because maybe in the time zone they live in it's not a weird time yeah absolutely well i mean um for years and i've only been playing in person for the last three years since i was a child so when i was young i got into RuneQuest and all that sort of stuff played in person for a while stopped playing the hobby for a bit when i came back i was playing online for over a decade and i played with people from europe australia america all of that we had like really weird time zones but that worked for me because i was working nights so the only time i could play was you know in these other people's time zone and um it was great it was awesome um i still play with this group to this day if you've ever listened to mud and blood has an actual play called carrying company sean who runs carrying company the gm he's been my gm online for like over a decade and um if you if you ever want to get an idea of like what grimdark can be to, to toot my own horn and do a bit of promo go and listen to carrying company on mud and blood because Sean is an amazing GM. He, he really straddles that line between black humor and laughs, but at the same time, like consequences. Your actions have consequences. The world won't always react favorably to you. And it works really well. I aspire to be half as good a GM as he is. I will say, I, I've listened to that whole campaign, and he is amazing. And like I love how like that whole campaign, to a certain point, your characters were just a bunch of and i don't mean this to be offensive your characters were just just a bunch of mercenary schmucks yeah yep yep and yet the the stakes in the moment were very high even though in a grander picture it wasn't that much and i think yep. that's what you were talking about how the world is the the core behind i think grimdark is that yes the world is big and behind you and and all this and what you do may have an impact on that but the chances that anyone ever knows 
that you're the ones who kept this bad, awful thing from happening are pretty slim. Yeah. You yeah, know, it was, it was great. Um, we're actually recording season two at the moment and um, I'm looking forward to getting that out because that's exploring slightly different realms, a lot more inner party conflict. It's quite cool. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, the, um, yeah, no, nah, like I think because yeah, Sean really, like, as I said, as a GM, he really strikes all the rights of the balances for what Grimdark can be. And like, it's fun. There's still tongue in cheek. There's still amusing moments, but at the same time, there's serious stakes for the, especially for the party specifically. And like, there's, there's things going on and the world is happening around you and you're just sort of in it, you're reacting to it. Yeah. It's quite, quite neat. Um, and especially cause that was completely sandbox too. It's not like he wrote a plot and we played through the plot. We had a lot of agency over where we went and what we did at multiple points throughout the campaign off, off sort of screen as such, we were offered options. Which way do you go? You know, which contract do you accept? What way do you go? And that drove the direction the campaign went in. So he was reacting to our decisions as well. And it worked really well. Yeah. Um, but it, it really, it really grabbed like what, for a lot of people, it really grabbed what the Warhammer world is. And the Warhammer world in many ways, like Warhammer and 40K, those two things are very much like, if you want to know what Grimdark is, look there. And then from there, go outwards. So having such a good representation of that, I think was really good. Actually, on that note, if you want to know what Grimdark is, um, there's a YouTube channel called Overly Sarcastic Productions, I think. And they do a video on Grimdark where they talk about its origins, how it came out in the 80s and, and everything that went through it. And they also talk about some of the, the pitfalls too that can happen where stuff does just become misery porn. And it's not about like the cathartic elements and stuff like that. And I think it's really good to to watch that because it frames things a lot. Because if you, anyone who grew up reading comics in the 90s and stuff, you were reading Grimdark. You know, like if you read Killing Joke and all that sort of stuff, all those stories that come out in that era, like Batman went from, you know, the old Batman you had back in the day with his grey outfit and stuff and, you know, beating up, you know, Penguin in a top hat to like dark and gritty stuff that was going on in the 90s. And I think that was... um Miller's Dark Knight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that stuff is like, we were telling stories for a reason. We were going in that direction for a reason. I think if you can sort of get your head around it, you might find it's it's what you're into. Or not. Again, like I'm sitting here advocating, if, if, you, if all of this goes... This sounds horrible. Then, hey, it ain't for you, and that's fine. Yeah, um, you're you're welcome to to not like it. You're welcome to disagree with me. I'm going to challenge me. Um, yeah. That's the joy of the hobby. Yeah, I think that's very well said. So, what else do we have? Uh, anything more you want to touch on in regards to grimdark gaming that we haven't kind of? I know we've kind of rambled and gone here and there, but that's what we do. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's really there's a lot of cool stuff out in the space of differing sort of angles right like so don't if you if you play one thing and it kind of works for you but it doesn't then go and look for you know like don't be put off by that you know there's a lot of people i know for example nine out of ten people i talk to love merkborg but there's one in ten that don't like figure out what you don't like i'm sure there's something else out there that will work for you right there's there's lots of different angles and because grimdark can be anything it can be dark fantasy it can be like, you know, Vampire the Masquerade was pretty grim dark in a lot of ways. Those those old um, World of Darkness games. Um, it can be, you know, like 40K. It can be sci-fi. It can be cyberpunk. There's so many things you can latch on to in the genre that is varying degrees of grim and dark as well. 
So you, know, you don't need to go straight to Delta Green shooting children. You don't need to do that. That's definitely the result of decades of playing Grim Dark games. Yeah, it's uh, you can do all sorts of stuff. And saying that Delta Green, that you don't need to do what my players did to play Delta Green. I definitely recommend get Delta Green. It's great. At least look at the the free book star. I think it's free. Yeah, well, I think it's technically pay what you want uh, right. in the digital yeah. format. The other thing I will say is I think as far as what you get in that that quick start, it is one of the ro- most robust kickstarts I have ever seen. It actually mm. has character creation rules, and really, most of the rules to Delta Green are not that complex. You know, it, it's not... I mean, there are a few fiddly bits and a few more technical things but for the most part it's a very simple d100 roll under system you can tell instantly whether you've succeeded or not you know mm. but like i i find that 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 quick start you know, because it it gives you some pregens but it also gives you basic character creation rules maybe not as fully detailed as they are in the book but they're still yeah. solid yeah absolutely it's a it's a really good like um of the BRP derived mechanics too. I think Delta Green in many ways is like the streamlined like I love Call of Cthulhu. I'm playing a Call of Cthulhu campaign as we speak. Yet I still every time I play it, I'm like, yeah, this is great. I really like this game. Um, <laughs> and uh I, I would I absolutely I've been playing that game for, for decades. Um loving it. Yeah. I still think, yeah, but Delta Green does a lot of the stuff better. It's little things like the way it handles opposed roles and the way it handles. Um, it's just slightly things. more elegant, to put it simply. Yeah. Yes, yeah, elegant, and that's 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 important, I think, in in game design. But um, I'll try and avoid going down a game design <laughs> rabbit hole again. Um, what about you? What's really important? What What do you like about Grim Dark? I think we kind of touched on it. For me, it's. It's that, like you said, I and I think, and I hadn't thought about it in these terms, but I think it's that that you get a chance to, so to speak, deal with the emotions that your real world problems cause you in a context where if you make a bad decision, you don't have to pay for it in reality. Mm. You know, that it, it, like you said, it's that catharsis, you know, or the, just for generic, you know, we'll say you work a job where you get chewed out by a customer and you know, you really just want to reach over the counter and punch me in the face. What are you talking about me, Steve? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> day-to-day life. That is what I do. <laughs> but, like, in the context of a game, you could, well, you could reach over the counter and punch him. That's probably a little more of a D&D solution. But, <laughs> y- you know what I'm saying? Like, you can tell him to to bugger off and walk out and quit your job in the context of the game and get that kind of release without then having to go, well, crap, how do I pay rent next month? You know, how do I pay my car, you know, car loan, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that catharsis. That's a great adventure seat. You've just told this guy to shove it. You've walked out of your job. You have to pay rent next month. You got your dodgy mate over here is offering you a way to make some quick cash, but it's a bit dodgy. You know, (laughs) Well, that's a Delta green character is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely that's, the, the agency walks in and goes hey yeah we can guarantee that your bills are paid all you got to do is help us do a little bit of cover up yeah absolutely yeah i i um uh, man i love dark and grim games it's <laughs> well what, what do you what, what do you look for in a dark and grim game um 
I don't know. It's, it's for me, it's sort of how I enjoy, like I enjoy metal music and I, I enjoy dark and grim games because of the aesthetic most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's that feeling. It's the, like Morkborg's the perfect example of that. When you open Morkborg's yeah. book, it's all aesthetic. Like that book is gorgeous. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It, it is a, one of yeah, the coolest, coolest, most well-designed books I think I've ever touched. Like, for as little information as it puts on the page, you get every bit of information you need, but still getting the coolest book in the world. And it's that. It's like, I love the conspiracy around Delta Green. I love the, like, the weird religious tones around, um, like, 40K and, and mm. Warhammer. You know, everything with, like, the Space Marines and stuff like that. It's It's you get into some cool stuff in dark and grim and that's what I look for. I look for an aesthetic and, and that's always what I look for in games. And that's why I get drawn to this stuff because I'm like, well, it's, it's dark, it's gritty, but it's dark and gritty in interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that black humor element is, is a major factor for me too. And that it, when you're at the table and it's an agreed upon thing that you're playing this, it's okay to laugh at those things that you probably shouldn't. If something like that comes up in your day to day life. <laughs> Well, because you, you kind of have to. It's, some of the stuff is so ridiculous. Like, especially once you start getting into, let's like, say, 40K, where the Imperium is this huge, you know, like bureaucratic, theocratic, fascist, medieval style space empire. <laughs> like, it is, it is just so ridiculous that you can have some truly dark and grim moments in there, but at the same time, just like, you know, uh, Sean once told me that um, his ideal campaign is you, you, you're playing 40k, you're these guardsmen, right? You're the core foot soldiers of the Imperium. You land on a planet um, and you're persecuting a war against rebels that look very similar to you, but they are worshipping the wrong kind of emperor. And you fight them. And then after some time, you get declared you know, excommunicatum. You, you get declared heretics or whatever. And then there's a war being persecuted against you. And you, you realize that like, because you're dealing with such a massive bureaucracy that is the Imperium, it's so huge. It's a million worlds. They like messages get mixed all the time. And then to top it all off, he said that he wanted to have a moment where you find a, a an, like a set of orders or like a recording or some maps or something from the rebels that you were fighting, who you beat before you got declared rebels. Right, and it turns out that they got sent to the wrong world entirely. The world that they were supposed to be going to is somewhere else completely. It's just ridiculous. It's like we're just here dying because of like uh, some crossed wires and people going to the wrong place. And now, well, as people realize, they're going, "Hold on, hold on, hold on. This war shouldn't be happening. What are we doing?" Because you have the the gall to challenge the Imperium, you are now the enemy and we're going to kill you. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely, you have to laugh, but it is like, at the same time, playing through that <laughs> is dramatic AF. <laughs> you know? But it's, it, it, that's such a 40k story though, too. Like, yeah. that's such a Warhammer adventure that uh, I just recently yeah. started getting into the Warhammer lore and, and some of that stuff. I had a buddy that's always been into it. He's like, Oh, you got to check this out. You'd love it. You'd love it. And I was like, these books are tomes. Like, I don't have time to read this. So I started getting into it finally. And I'm like, I love this. I don't know why I was like so <laughs> apprehensive before about it. But you know, that's such a quintessential. Like, you look at some of the chaos stuff and then some, you just, oh, just some. Yeah, I love it. 
like that's how you tell a that's how you tell a 40k story right like we we interviewed rick Priestley, which is a guy who created 40k and um i told him that story and he just started adding to it like automatically he's like okay and you, you get that stuff and then you get it back to hq you get all the way there and then there's this bunker right and the inside the bunker is where commanders and if you get them that information that'll get you off the world it's really important you get there you, you do all this heroic stuff to get there you go through the ringer and it turns out that they're closed for sunday prayers you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then you finally get them the orders like you so you got to go through all this more stuff and you finally get them the orders and they go right okay put in that pile there we'll get to it and it's a massive pile and you're like this is really important like, look we'll, we'll 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 prioritize it we'll put it closer to the top and you're like okay well it's going to get looked at eventually we just need to go hide out for a few weeks and you move away, and as soon as you leave, artillery hits it and just vaporizes it. And you're like, what? It's just the pointlessness of it all. It's just so, it's hilarious. You have to laugh at it because it is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, the pointlessness like, of bureaucracy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh man, I, I it, love that. That does sound so like I would play that game. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's just, yeah, it'd be great fun. It really would. <laughs> and you'd you'd have to laugh, even though like the connotations of oh well that information like them not being open today or whatever means that you know thousands of more soldiers are dying needlessly. That's really grim. That's really sad. But just the irony of it is hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Then you get into some of the mechanics of that world of like how space travel works and some of that stuff. It's like what? Why does this yeah. have to be this dark? Like why did we need? <laughs> Why do our engines need souls? Like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. All it takes Man. is one guy, like, one guy who asks the logistical questions, and everybody's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, you're a heretic. Like, that's it. That's it. Like, you know, we've talked about Morgborg a little bit, and I've, I've told some people, I, I recently had an online conversation, I don't remember where it was, but I described Morgborg as kind of a Ted Nugent of RPGs. And by that, I mean that it is loud in your face and unapologetically what it is, and <laughs> you either love it or you hate it. There's yeah. very few people, I'm going to guess, that'll pick up Borkborg and go, eh, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it definitely knows what it is, which, again, we're coming back to, you know, like a game design discussion, right? But, like, I think it's important that a product knows what it is and what it's trying to achieve, and it, and it latches on to that. And Merkborg is like they've boiled everything they wanted down to a pure essence. And that's sort of what you get. You know, it is a doom metal song represented as a physical product. Like it is. It's yes. Great. And that's how I've pitched it to my friends. And they were like, I'm sold. Because I yeah. showed my buddy. I'm like, check this out. He's like, okay, I, I don't get it. I'm like, no, you do get it. It is, it is like death metal and all of, all of the, like, you know, the Norwegian metal. And he's like, oh, that's it. You're right. That's what it is. Like, yeah, you'll get it. It, it I, I love Morkborg so much. <laughs> I don't get to talk about it enough because I, it's such a hard <laughs> one to talk about because it's a hard sell for like a lot of people. It's like, oh, how do I sell this to somebody who's not prepared for how dark and gritty this is? But I, if you're, if you do a little preparation and get yourself in a mindset where you're like, okay, I got to be prepared. This is going to be really dark. It's going to be really gritty. It becomes a really fun game. Yeah, absolutely. I am. Um, 
the game I ran just a week ago, a week ago today, even I ran Merkball for a, like a group of our patrons, and one of the people was his first time playing. He'd never played before, didn't really, hadn't read it or anything like that. He'd heard about it, obviously, but that was it. And just like hearing some of his like laughs throughout of just like how laughing at the ridiculousness, I could tell I was getting in there. I could just like his like yeah, his reactions were just sort of almost incredulous. He just couldn't believe what was happening and the things I was describing. And at the end of it, he was like, "Oh no, I love this game. I didn't know what was happening half the time, but I love it. (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) It's, It's it's excellent. It's really." Yeah, it, it's the other end of like, you know, what I was describing before with Delta Green. It's the very, the, the opposite end of that spectrum of just ridiculous. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Morkborg, if I'm not, it, it really, in a lot of ways, encourages you to drive your character like it's a stolen car. Yeah. Well, like, especially, like, I want to run an actual play of it on our channel at some point. Um, but, like, as an anthology. So instead of you worrying about your character surviving session to session, we're not telling that story. We're telling the story of the apocalypse of this world, right? So the TPKs are to be expected. We're not following specifically the characters. We're following the actions of the various people within as the canvas upon which the world is ending. Because it's got that mechanic, right? The miseries, where you keep getting closer and closer to the apocalypse. I want to play through that. I want to see what the world looks like falling over. And the great thing is it would only be six sessions. And at the end of the sixth one, the world ends. Right, like, like that's a known. Like, at the end of the sixth session of this campaign, guys, the world ends. Right, There's, <laughs> you cannot stop this. Let's play until that point. Um, I think <laughs> another game that does it, like, if if you want a similar style of that with but more structure or more D and D ish, look at Shadow of the Demon Lord. Shadow of the Demon Lord was written by Rob Schwalb, who's written heaps of games out there. He's written for Warhammer. He's written. Even for D and D, he's written for a whole bunch of stuff. And Shadow of the Demon Lord is like streamlined D and D. If you're coming from a D and D background, and you're not quite ready to jump into the rules light stuff that you get with Merkborg, Shadow Shadow of the Demon Lord would be great. And he's a middlehead. The way he writes, like I've spoken to him a few times now, is we all know that if you're writing for a long period of time, you're better off to cut your day up into chunks, right? Where this is your dedicated writing time, this is your rest time. The way he does it is he puts on an album. And he writes, like, he's got this big collection of, of heavy metal albums. He'll put one on, and he writes until that album stops. And then he gets up, and he goes and plays with his cats, and he has a meal or whatever. And then he comes back and puts the next one on. And he goes, so, you know, sometimes it's a quick one. I'm listening to Rain and Blood by Slayer, and it's a 28-minute writing session. <laughs> Other times, <laughs> it's an extended album, some conceptual album. It's like um, Dope Smoker by Sleep. And I know it's just going to be one song for an hour <laughs> and I just start writing um, and it's and what comes out. And you can tell if you go and look at that game, it is dark, gritty, grim, dark fantasy, but with, you know, definitely more of like a, a D&D power structure behind it in terms of mechanics, very streamlined. And it feels like, a, again, it's got that heavy metal stuff the same, but not not nearly as distilled down as Merkborg, because Merkborg definitely embodies like... Rob Schwalb is like the big four, you know, mm-hmm. with um and 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 various offshoots. Whereas Merkborg is Emperor running through the woods of Norway, filming a music video. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's very very different sort of extremes, but it's it's very good, very good. <laughs> well, I think we've covered as much as we can. I mean, 
you have a whole podcast dedicated to the dark and grim games. So, but it, I think, yeah. I think it's time, uh, unless you have something else to add, Steve. Well, I was just going to ask uh, Liam if he'd like to let people know where they can find him. I know he has some other projects in the works besides just his podcast. Mm. But if you'd like yeah, to take a sure. minute to talk about any and all of that stuff. Absolutely. So the obvious one is um, is Mud and Blood, which has been going for three years now. And it's a combination of us talking and actual plays and stuff like that. So a lot of stuff I've referenced here, a lot of the interviews and things all happened over there. And it's mbcast.co. Um, and me and my co-host, Matt, talk about all sorts of stuff we interview lots of creators we do game reviews and all of that we are looking at doing a refresh of the brand soon don't know exactly what that will look like yet matt's about to have another kid we're going to have to readdress how that all works but at the moment there's three years worth of content you can go and look at we figure out what comes next so there is that but the other thing i do is i've got a brand called toa tabletop uh toa being toa tabletop.com which there isn't a hell of a lot there it's my personal sort of focus towards my game creation stuff that I do, which is why I tried to not stray too much into game design theory on this channel, because that is a rabbit hole. If you think Grimdark's a big rabbit hole, you wait until you start talking about game design. And what it means if you choose a D6 or a D20, you know, like that's the stuff has has impact. So that's a whole different thing. If you head to tabletop.com, you can see things I've written for and you know, I've done editing for and stuff like that. Um, and also there uh is i've been a bit slack and been a bit active inactive on it this year but um i'm preparing in the next year to hopefully the next year to run a kickstarter for a um a game i'm running on i'm working on at the moment called fistful of sixes which is like yeah you're you're playing western outlaws spaghetti western style sort of stuff if you if you've liked if you like you know the dollars trilogy or if you liked red dead redemption this is hopefully the game for you so i'm working on that and over the next year i'm going to start ramping up my blog and stuff and talking about that a lot more as i build up release for that but i'm like i said i'm still waiting to see where mud and blood lands and what that's going to look like before i really commit strongly to what's coming in the next year but that is a thing it's it's got a system i developed myself called the blackjack system which is really fun i really enjoy it so um and i'm planning on spawning a lot more stuff out of that so yeah that's that's what i'm up to that's not a weird West setting, right? That's a, a like you said, spaghetti Western, mm. classic, non-magical type setting, correct? Completely completely non-magical. That said, being a Kickstarter, one of the things I've thrown around as a stretch goal is like a weird West supplement for it. But in saying that, I mean, the, the mechanics, there's nothing in the mechanics that stop it being a weird West thing. And there is one mechanic, especially which... If you just flip it so it goes in a different direction, instead of it being a, a dropping ceiling, it becomes a rising floor, if that makes sense. With that one mechanic, if you flip it, it becomes a very good horror game. So um, that is likely to be how I introduce that as like a, a like a horror weird west sort of thing at some point. But we'll see. All right, cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Oh, <laughs> thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Well, we still have one segment of the show left, so... Why don't we get into Game of the Week? Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! So, we told you what this was, Liam. Mm -hmm. Would you like one of us to go first? And so you get a little bit of a feel for it, or are you ready to jump right in? How about one of you guys goes first, but I want to be cheeky, because there's two things I want to recommend. Can I recommend two? Yeah, sure. Sure, why not? 
when you guys go first, then I, then I'll do one, and then you do one, and then I finish with one. How's that work? Does that work? That sounds good. That sounds good. Sorry, I'm I'm just here taking over your podcast, guys. I'm sorry. No, hey, you want to take over? You're welcome to it. We'll let you have the reins. You can here's the log into the Discord and have fun. <laughs> here, hang on. Let me adjust you to an admin. <laughs> but uh, the game that I'm going to talk about is a game that I've had on my radar for a while now, and I've sort of been quietly reading it, quietly not talking about it, wanting to get it, and wanting to get a good understanding of it before I really talked about it. And that's Red Markets. Red Markets is a game of economic horror. It is pretty much a zombie apocalypse game set during the collapse of the markets. It's like it's like what would happen if the zombie outbreak happened during the uh during uh what was that? The Wall Street crash. Yes, the Wall Street crash, but there was I was trying to think of a specific day, but it's fine. My brain's just not cooperating with me today. Um <laughs> and I, I found this game and I was like, I, I think I get it. And then I picked it up. Uh, it's 20 bucks for a watermark PDF on drive through RPG. I picked it up and I was like, oh, no, I get this. I, I understand what this is now. It is absolutely a ruthless, gritty game about economics, Wall Street and zombies. Like, I don't know how else to put it. It is such a cool, weird game that. I just sort of sat on it for a while because I was waiting. I'm like, we're going to do this horror month. I don't want to talk about this until horror month. And with this being the first episode of that, I was like, now's the time to talk about red markets. But that's my game of the week. Cool. I've heard about red markets. I've heard it's um, very good. People have recommended it to me in the past. Never got yeah, I've heard, heard some good things about it as well. It seems really good. Like from what uh, I've read most of it, from what I've read, it seems really good. So what do you got, Liam? What's your first one? Right, so I've already shilled Delta Green and Merkborg enough, so I won't, I won't include those. <laughs> but in the spirit of um, in the spirit of Merkborg, if you want like a real over the top grim dark sort of game that you find yourself laughing at constantly, I recently read uh, for a review a game called Neon Lords of the Toxic Wasteland. Right. Damn um, it. <laughs> i was gonna use that one <laughs> <laughs> sorry and um, <laughs> so with with neon lords it's um it, it's it's just it's just so good it's just hilarious it's um like a post-apocalyptic game that's sort of fantasy meets like yeah post-apocalypse but the whole premise is that like in the early 90s the world went into like a it went into like a world war and then aliens turned up and everything went tits up and fast forward multiple generations and we're now in like a apocalypse where they're looking back to society and they've really embraced a lot of 80s elements so we've got mullets got heavy metal we've got lots of neon obviously fanny packs um one of the gods is the savage one and when you read his description it's very obvious it's um it's randy savage from <laughs> and like, they've got there's so much stuff it's just ridiculous it's actually ridiculous mechanically speaking it's um built on the bx system but they've added so much stuff to it they've added so much flavor it'll be very familiar to a lot of people who come from dnd but they've added heaps of bits and pieces to it like additional um there's a stack called sleaze which works opposite attitude which is like your normal charisma stamp sleaze is like you know how like it tracks you doing sleazy things like not paying your retainers 
getting mutations, bartering with people in the black market, etc. And if as your sleaze increases, people out in the wasteland treat you better, but people in society treat you worse. So you kind of you can't be good in both. You either have to be a sleazy person out in the wasteland, like a full-on wasteland warlord, or you have to be, you know, like a, a respected member of society. And it's all about juggling those two. And like your hairstyle actually has an impact, by the way. I want to point out your hairstyle is a stat. And you can change your hairstyle, but there's a risk that they they botch it and they give you a bad haircut or whatever. And the sort of character classes you play is like a brutal corn, which is a uh anthropomorphic unicorn however it's experienced like uh it's lost a limb in war and traditionally these these unicorns uh they call them brutal corns because they've got two they're called bicorns sorry because they've got two horns um but these bicorns who are engaged in constant tribal warfare if normally if they take an injury tradition has it that they have to be taken out back and shot because that's what you do for horse right but these ones have decided to reject that and to take on like cybernetic like you know limbs and stuff and because of that they're outcast from society so you can play him and be like a two-horned unicorn with a shotgun going around causing mayhem or you could be a cosmic barbarian which worships lord randy the savage one and does lines of steroids that you keep in your (laughs) in your neon fanny pack it's ridiculous like it is like you know there's there's there is a android that's like a cross between the Terminator and Ronald Reagan. <laughs> There's just so much stuff. It is ridiculous. And it is heavy metal AF. Like it is so good. You know what? This this makes me mad because I have an actual play lined up and we're about to record the first episode. <laughs> and it's not this game. And I I now immediately want it to be this game. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's over the top. It's nuts. It is and, and like very similar to Merkborg that way. It's it's and it's yeah, it's definitely like yeah, it's yeah, for example, like I'm just scrolling through the PDF now in the magic section, it's got a p- picture of a person doing like the Adugan from uh Street Fighter, right? Like that's what magic looks like in the setting. It's not some widget <laughs> of a staff, it's a guy throwing <laughs> throwing a, a power or whatever. It is nuts, it is awesome. I recommend it absolutely. It's it's very good. Oh, oh yeah! Somebody, random, someone on Discord actually messaged me about that game earlier this week. Yeah, it's well, it might be. Um, I know the creator has been going around and getting people to look at it in return for reviews. That's how I found out about it. He's like, "Do you want to review my game?" I was like, "I'll have a look at it." And then I was like, "Oh my god!" And I, I will say this: I mentioned this in my review on the on the drive through site, but um, like my partner Julia, she pointed out that she's never heard me laugh out loud so much as when I was reading this book, every page, I was just laughing. It's just so ridiculous. It's the 90s, early 90s and and 80s turned up to 11. And just, yeah, it's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meets Mad Max. It's nuts. It's nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it it does. It looks like, like, it's a game that intends to be played seriously, but doesn't take itself seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, it very much for me sits in the same camp as um, you know, Merkborg, Shadow of the Demon Lord, those sorts of games that are like hilarious but grim at the same like hilariously over the top hyper violent grimness. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's great. There's a character class called the Heather, right? Uh which uh it's called Heather, so young, so bad, so what? The Hellcat Eradication and Termination Heavy Enhanced Ranger, or Heather for short, you know, and it's like this punk looking chick, you know, they're like these, these, 
enhanced um sort of you know assassins femme fatale types that you used to see a lot in the in the in the in the fiction from back then and stuff it's just cool it's cool stuff absolutely yeah yeah all the tropes turned up to 11 and just dive into it yeah i love it yeah uh, all right so you you stole the one i was going to use so i'll have to go to another one um but <laughs> that's actually in all honesty in in just over a year of doing this that's the first time that's actually happened <laughs> so you know hey <laughs> So I'm going to go with a game. Uh, it's called Weird Frontiers RPG. And it's, well, it's Cthulhu Wild West using Dungeon Crawl Classics rules. Hmm. I've heard of this one. The art is amazing. Like, there's this literally this squid face gunfighter thing that is just, it's too cool looking. But it's its kind of, it's a, a Lovecraftian Weird West as opposed to, you know, like the, the, um, wild west with weird stuff like deadlands this is mm. or at least mm. again i'm just going based on what i see here on, on drive through but it it looks like it's very much a lovecraftian wild west it just looks like again if if you're into that kind of thing it looks like it could tick so many boxes and if the art they're showing on the on the drive through page is any indication or even if it's all the art from inside the books it's good it's fun but yeah, it 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 just looks it looks like a lot of fun. I may have to pick this up. I mean, the PDF is thirty bucks, so it's not a cheap PDF. But mm. damn, it looks impressive. The artwork does look excellent. It really does. Yeah, you know, it, it so fits the mood. I've been playing um, Dungeon Crawl Classics recently. Uh, one of our um, one of our, uh, one of our fans offered to run it for me because he knew I hadn't played it, and it definitely would fit this this style of a game. Like it it creates some quite over the top sort of moments in a cool way. So I thought I can see that working. Oh yeah, scrolling through the the preview, yeah, the artwork is all you know. There's like a what looks like a, like a civil war battle scene, but if you look, there's like zombies and you know demon looking things. It's yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they, they, I'm looking at it too. It looks very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I because I, it just feels like a, a a setting that would be fun to play that in. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I know, um, to to kind of tangent a second, you know, I know uh, Down Darker Trails is either just out or going to be out any day now. I think from uh, Spivey, is it okay? I I've seen some stuff on Twitter. I just wasn't sure, but uh, I I thought about using that, but I haven't yet. So, but this looks like you know maybe a little little different take on that. I don't I don't know exactly what he was going for with that, but yeah. So again, mine is is called Weird Frontiers RPG. Which brings us back around to you, Liam. Uh, my next one is if you don't, if you want something a bit more serious than the over-the-topness that is Neon uh, Lords of the Toxic Wasteland. Um, it's uh, another game which I'm actually playing today. The creator's running a game for me, but I've been reading it and loving it. It's called Sigil and Shadow, and it's based on like a D100 light system. Uh, so it's like the similar system to what's used in Call of Cthulhu, but streamlined and, and lightened right down. And as for the setting, it's very much like modern contemporary setting where the occult and, and fantasy and, and all that sort of stuff sort of bleeds into our world a wee bit. So it's very much like a open sort of setting in that you could use it to play whatever modern occult sort of horror investigation stuff you want. So you probably could use it for like a rules like Delta Green if you want. You could run it for like your own version of Vampire the Masquerade or Cult Divinity Lost. 
you could do all those games, but in a streamlined rule set, if you so wish. It's definitely got that sort of vibe to it. Um, the game we're playing today, Matt's character is what they call um, an enlightened or an illuminated character. So it's a person who has learned that the occult is out there and is trying to discover more about it. Whereas my character is what they call a shadowed character. So it's someone who the occult has actually influenced like physically. So Matt's playing like a, um, a jock um, sort of character who's a car mechanic. And whilst hiking the mountains, found some strange cave and went missing for a month before he came back to reality. And he's been trying to figure out what that is. Um, whilst my character uh, is currently the host of the consciousness of some strange lord from the 17th century or something who occasionally takes control of his body. So he's like walking around with two consciences in his body and stuff like that. And we're going looking for a missing friend of ours. It's a, it's a cool sort of really streamlined sort of game that could play some sort of dark modern horror stuff quite well if you if you so wished. But it's definitely a bit more serious than the Merkborgs and, and, <laughs> and Neon Lords of the Toxic Wastelands of the world. So I figured I'd offer people for a taste of either end of that spectrum. Yeah, it's quite cool. Very cool. That does sound quite interesting. Yeah, mm. that sounds awesome. Well, with all that being said, we do want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It has been an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as always, you know, links are in the show notes for anything, any of the games we talked about, and, you know, our Discord, uh, anywhere, you know, Liam can found, can be found, will be found in the dis- in the links in the description. We do want to thank everyone for listening and remind you to... Get out there and play some RPGs and be kind to one another. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. My screens have turned off. That's weird. You can still hear me, though? Yeah. Okay, cool. At the moment, I thought I had a power cut. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I waffle a wee bit. No, (laughs) we appreciate it. (laughs) Hey, look, look, we've joked about it, but seriously, podcasting is the most focused conversation Steve and I ever have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's unreal how we can... We'll start with a topic and then just in general conversation end up about 14 million different places.